by all of this and everybody said amen so we we are going through the book of john we'll be here for a while we finished chapter four um this week um and we come to uh this passage about faith um i as i read through this passage i was reminded of a, a childhood moment for me i don't know if you remember these t-shirts and hats it was quite the fashion phase um, and, and I can remember, maybe it was middle school, high school, going to the mall, and uh, it was as if every store I went to, there was this, t- there was this t-shirt that said, uh, well, first of all, it had a picture of what was supposed to be Jesus, pretty sure it didn't look like him, really, but it was this picture of what was supposed to be Jesus, um, I think he kind of has his hands open, and then underneath it, do you know what it says? Jesus is my homeboy. So, as a middle schooler, growing up, I went to church, I professed faith. I remember looking at this shirt and, frankly, not really knowing what to think. On one side, I was thinking to myself, wow, you know, if I wore this shirt, I would be making a public proclamation that I believe at least something about Jesus. And then the other tension was well, is this the kind of faith Jesus wants me to have in him and with him? And then there was a whole nother thought that you might be thinking too, and that is, man, am I just being too legalistic here? I mean, does it really matter how we define the specifics of of our faith in Jesus Or, you know, as long as we have some sort of, like, positive, if you will, faith in Jesus, that's what counts. So this is what I thought about as a middle schooler and a high schooler when I saw this t-shirt. And I share this story because um, this is largely what this passage is about. Not necessarily Jesus is my homeboy, though Jesus is going to go to his hometown, where I really do think there was what we would probably describe as a, ah, Jesus is my boy. I grew up with him. I went to school with him. I worked with him. I celebrated holidays with him. I know his sisters, brothers, mom. Jesus is my boy. So I think there really is that sense. But here's what we see at the beginning of this passage, at least. There is a right kind of faith in Jesus, and there is a wrong kind. There is a kind of faith in Jesus that he desires for us, wants for us, trying to draw us into, and then there is a kind of faith that, I just call it faulty faith, that that misses the mark. And then the rest of this passage talks about how we might grow in this right faith. So so let's just journey together. Um, Back in verse 39. So you remember Jesus meets this Samaritan woman. Um, There's a very long conversation. She comes to salvation in Christ and then immediately goes and shares 
the gospel, shares Jesus with all of these villagers that saw her as an outcast, but her passion and zeal for Jesus seemed to overcome those social barriers that once existed. And so she goes and tells the Samaritans, and listen to this, many Samaritans from that town believed, everybody say believed, believed. Six times this word believed is going to be used in the passage we are looking at this morning. The Greek word here is, it's pistos. And the reason why I spell this out is because if you look up pistos in the Greek dictionary, what you will find is that it means to have a faith in, to have a trust in. So we're talking, about, we're talking about belief, but we're also talking about faith, and we're talking about trust here. These are synonyms when we're talking with Jesus and about Jesus. And so many Samaritans from that town, they, they believed in him. Now notice this, because the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did, is what the Samaritans said to them. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more, let's just say the word together, believe. Now say it like you're excited. There you go. Hallelujah. They believed. Now check this out. Because of his word. Let's hold on to those two things. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed what? The Savior of the world. Now, two things I want to draw your attention to. And I'm going to ask them in forms of questions. First question is this. Does Jesus perform a sign, a wonder, a miracle for the Samaritans. No miracle. There's no miracle there. Uh, John wants to make very clear that they do not come to faith because of a miracle. They come to faith because a woman shared her testimony. Listen to last week's message on how maybe God wants to use your testimony of what Jesus has done in your life to bring someone to faith. And then they also believed because of Jesus' word. So, no, no miracles. Hold on to that. John wants us to hold on to that. And then here's the other thing. What is the proclamation, the, the essence of their faith in Jesus? What is it? Jesus is the Savior, He's the savior of the world. That's strong language. I, I think for sure they came to know that not only is he the Savior of the world, He's my Savior. Now, look what happens next. I call this a setup. John is setting us up. Guys, we need to understand, John is not in the business of telling us some really neat stories about Jesus. This is not like John is sitting around a campfire and just rattling off all the cool stories about Jesus. He is telling us a story in which there's transitions, there's specific words that are given. There, there are things that John is doing that is trying to engage you as the reader. Now, what John very well could have done is he could have skipped verse 43 through 45 and gone straight into the story about this official who has a son who's dying. He could have just gone straight there because it feels like that's what the story is about, but John is setting us up. 
We just got done reading how the Samaritans received Jesus, the essence of their faith in Jesus. And John says, okay, before I get to this really awesome story about this official and his son getting healed, can I just tell you how Jesus' hometown received him? And, and we're supposed to be students of Scripture and go, okay, maybe he puts these two stories side by side to help us see that there is a difference between the way the Samaritans believed and had faith in Jesus and the way that his own hometown, his boys and girls, received him. So, so, so let's see this. Let, let, let's see who gets it right. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, his hometown, guys. This is his hometown, his hometown home area. Now, John gives us this parenthetical thought that seems to be important to us. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet had no honor in his own hometown. Where's he going? His own hometown. So verse 44, it seems as if John is setting us up gives us this parenthetical thought and says, hey, he's going to his hometown. I want to give you a warning that he's going to go there and people are not going to be jiving with Jesus. They are not going to be excited about him at all. But look at verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, his hometown, the Galileans, his homeboys, what'd they do? Welcomed him. Now, I, I, don't know, I don't know if this, maybe you're not thinking what I'm thinking, but when I read this about a month ago, walking through this, I scratched my head and I thought, that doesn't make, what? It seems like John is setting us up that they are not going to welcome Jesus, but yet verse 45, it clearly says they welcomed Jesus. Do you know what it means in the Greek, they welcomed Jesus? It means they welcomed Jesus. So what's going on here? Maybe this welcoming of Jesus is actually not what it looks like on the outside. Maybe this receiving of Jesus, though it looks good on the outside, like a pretty sweet t-shirt on the inside, it, it, it's, it's some faulty faith. Look at what John draws our attention to next. He talks about, he says, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. But look at verse 46, what he wants to draw our attention to. So he came again to Cana in Galilee. Do you remember where Cana is? Remember what happened in Cana? If you don't remember, John says, let me remind you. Oh, it's the place where he made water wine. Here's what John is trying to draw us to. The Samaritans, the essence of their faith, Jesus is my Savior. The essence of his hometown, their faith in Jesus is, oh, would you do another miracle for us? And, and wait, he's going to really emphasize it. Not only is, is, is it going to be emphasized, but it's going to be rebuked. Look what happens next. It, it says, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So you, you feel like the story's been, it's shifting. Okay, we're done talking about his hometown and their lack of faith and their faith. It's not quite what it looks like. Let's talk about this cool healing, but watch what happens here. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill 
When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him, that's a 20-mile journey, by the way, um, and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, this is the turning point. Verse 48 is the turning point of this passage. So Jesus said to him, who's he speaking to? The official? It seems like he's speaking to him. Unless you... Now, here's where our English... Now, some of you, I have an ESV Bible, and there's a little footnote right next to this word, you. little footnote right here. And if you go down to the bottom of my page, that's why I love my ESV Bible, it says, oh, this you here, though in English it's singular, in Greek it's plural. It's you all. Jesus looks at this man but speaks to his hometown and says, all of you, all of you, unless you all see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. Translation, Jesus is saying, your faith is not in who I am. Your faith is in just what you want me to do for you. And the moment I stop doing it, you're not going to believe anymore. One um, pastor put it this way. The signs and wonders that Jesus is doing, this is part of his kingdom. This is, this is part of the kingdom of God. This is what God does. Here is a group of people who want the kingdom, but don't necessarily want the king to go with it. But yet you have the Samaritans going, but you can't have the kingdom without the king. And what John is trying to, seriously guys, he's trying to put up a mirror. He's like, hey, use this as a mirror. Which, which is it for you? Is the essence of your faith, Jesus, you are my savior, or is the essence of your faith, Jesus, I, I, I I really need you to do another miracle in my life. This hits me hard because this is my testimony for years. But I, of course I didn't realize it. Where Jesus was my boy. Where I had this faith in Jesus and the faith got really, really helpful in my time of need in time of trouble. And then every other area of my life, it was like, you know what, I, th I think I got this. Anybody resonate with that? And, and also, my prayers looked a lot like, um, hey Jesus, I got some stuff for you today. And I'll put them in bullet point form, make it pretty simple. And, and Jesus, what he is doing is he's saying, there is a right faith and there is actually a wrong faith. And this kind of faith in Jesus, where he just merely does your bidding. Notice, they believe in his power, guys. This is deceptive stuff here. They believe in the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus fixing their own lives in their own ways. And I think we should sit here and pause and go... 
Now, if I asked you, which Jesus do you believe in? I think most of us are going to go, well, you know, probably Jesus is my Savior because I've prayed that prayer. But let, let me reframe the question. Which way are you living? Because there's the faith you believe, but then there's the faith you live. Tracking? What kind of faith are you living right now? Are you treating Jesus like this? Okay, I need you now. Will you help? And here's the thing about knowing Jesus as your Savior. It knows three things. First, it knows that you need a Savior. You need, for Jesus to be your Savior, you need to know you need a Savior. It also knows and realizes that Jesus must be pretty awesome, pretty amazing, pretty incredible, divine, if He's going to do the saving and save the whole world. But then here's the third mark. For Jesus to be your Savior, that's, that's relational, is it not? This is profoundly relational. And we need to understand that Jesus is not merely challenging their faith, but He's trying to point to them, you're missing out. Like, it, you are missing the mark when, you, when, when the essence of your faith is about Jesus doing your bidding rather than having this personal relationship with God. That's incredible. And so the rest of this passage, I think it, it, it gives us some pointers of what this Jesus is my Savior faith might look like. Like, Jesus is my Savior in action. Um, but, but there's another question that we, you might have that I think John is baiting us into act, asking. And it's, well, what about this official? John is trying to get you to think, is, John, is the official on the side of the Samaritans, Jesus is my Savior, or is the official on the side of the hometown boys and girls? Just give me, I just, I just need a miracle. Give me a miracle. Which, which, which one is he? I love what Jesus does here. Look at verse 49. It's really, John is trying to point us to this. He says, it says, the official said to him, verse 49, the official said to him, well, what's that first word? What does the official call Jesus? Sir. Okay, guys, you, 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 you might be thinking that I'm making too much of the text. I promise you I'm not. John is obsessed with the names that people call Jesus. He's obsessed with it. And they are meant to, to point us into understanding the text itself. And so he, 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 if you just want to geek out sometime and you just want to get alone with the word and really you know, have some fun with it and really see underneath what's going on, read through the book of John and just underline and keep track all of the names in which Jesus is referred to. John chapter 1 the Gospel of John, John, he just absolutely goes off and just, you lose count of how many 
names Jesus is giving. Jesus is, he's the word. He is, I had to make a list of this. He's the word. He's the light. He's the lamb of God. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's rabbi. He's Christ. He's king of Israel. Jesus of Nazareth. The one who Moses and the prophets spoke about. That's just chapter one, y'all. And here's what you'll notice about almost every single name that John speaks and reveals about Jesus in chapter 1. What you will notice is they all, almost all at least, speak to the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is God, because that's John's point in his whole gospel. Jesus is God, and here's all the names we could give him. Do you know who the first person to call him Sir is? The Samaritan woman. And she's actually pretty relentless. So all she calls Jesus. Sir, sir, sir. Now I call people sir as a form of respect. Y'all, just don't call Jesus sir, okay? It's, it, like, that's probably not a term of respect. Would you agree with me? It would be like me saying, Hey, man, how's it going? But here's what you'll notice about the story at the woman at the well. It's really long. John draws it out. And though she starts with sir, she ends with savior. And here's what John is doing to us. He's going, guys, do you see how this woman experiences Jesus? Do you see how she goes from sir to savior? That's the example. And so I think when he literally, the next story, talks about this official and calls Jesus, Sir, I think John is trying to turn on a light and go, Hey, watch this. Watch what's going to happen to him. Watch where he starts, but notice how he ends. And so I, I think that we can learn some things about this man's faith and what it teaches us about what it looks like for Jesus to be our Savior. So, so let's, let's walk through this. I think there's three lessons. I think that's how many I came up with. We'll see at the end. Lessons of faith we see here. I want you to notice this. What does he ask Jesus? Sir, come down. Jesus, come down before my child dies. I I want you to come with me, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Go. Your son will live. The man, what does he do? He believed. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. I I, kind of take this note. What is faith as Jesus is your Savior? It's trusting the words of Jesus even when it's not your plan. Do you see that there? Jesus, will you, will you come with me? I need you to come with me. And we need to understand, this is not outside of the wheelhouse of Jesus here, okay? Like, he, he, he'll say yes to this request. He's done it before. This time he says no. I think there's a kind of testing going here, going on here. He doesn't get what he actually really asks of Jesus. 
but he takes Jesus at his word. He, he believes the word of Jesus even when it's not the word he was asking for. And I just wrote down this question. What is happening in your life? What, what are the things that God is speaking to you or putting in your life in this season that you're struggling to trust him with? Have any of those? Where you're trying to go, hey God, this, it seems like this would be best. So would you come with me in this direction of my life? And Jesus is going, um, yeah, I'm not going with you. But you go this way. And the man simply believes. Believes the word of Jesus. He just, he just trusts it. He doesn't question it. He doesn't even seek to understand it. Because I'm sure there was some questions like, hold on, why not? Why couldn't you? Why don't you? It seems like it would make more sense if you went with me. It seems more effective. You'd be there in person. What if something comes up? What if I meet someone on the road? Things don't go the way that I thought they'd go. I mean, like, it seems to make more sense, Jesus, if you just, 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 just do it my way. Anybody, just give me an amen if you're with me. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm not going with you. Go this way instead. So, so what, seriously, what, what, do you have those things in your life right now where you're having a hard time trusting Jesus? I think this is an invitation. Maybe it's a career, maybe it's a health problem, maybe it's money. Maybe you, maybe you have depression. Maybe you struggle with anxiety. Jesus, it, it, can you just take it all away? Actually, I want you to go this way. And I also think that there might be a lesson here about prayer. How often do we come to Jesus with our requests? Our request is gentle. Demands might seem more appropriate at times. Anybody where you're like, Lord, I need you to do this and this and this and this. Versus coming to the Lord and just saying, when's the last time you prayed, Lord, would you just show me what you want me to do? in this area of my life. Did you just make that clear? We like to give him the agenda. But notice this. So faith trusts in the words of Jesus, even when it doesn't seem to be the word that you want. But notice this. Um, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke. And what does he do? He went on his way. When you trust in Jesus as your Savior... You're not only believing in his word, you're actually walking in obedience to it. My, probably my favorite story on faith is back in Genesis 12, where God makes these incredible promises to Abraham. God gives his word of blessing of all the blessings that are going to come to Abraham. And one of those blessings was, I am going to lead you into a land that is your own, a land in which your family and ancestors, which is going to become a nation, I'm going to bring you into a land and give it to you. And Abraham's like, I believe. Where's the land at? 
And remember what God says? God's like, oh, I'm not telling you. Just start walking. Well, what direction do I go in? That general direction. Just go this way. And what does he do? He, he starts walking. Having no idea where he's going. And so faith walks in obedience to Jesus' word. And, and you know what I love about that passage about Abraham? Is it teaches us something really important about faith in Christ. And faith in his word. And it's this. That God usually does not give us a map. He, he rather gives us a lamp. He doesn't go, okay, let's lay it out, let's be strategic, and in the next two years, we'll be here. In the next three years, we'll be there. In the next four years, we have arrived. Anybody? I'm going to have this job. We're going to have this many kids. Um, nothing's ever going to go wrong, ever. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm not giving you a map, but I will give you a lamp. I, I love Psalm 119. Your word, your, listen, your word is a lamp unto my feet. I think the reason why we have a really hard time trusting the word of God is because we don't look at the word of God. It, it, that's what Psalm 119 is saying. It's saying the word, God's word, this is, this, this you don't get a map, you get a lamp. Here. Some of you have it in the form of a phone. That's fine. Can't write in it like I can with this one. But here's your lamp, and I think we have a really hard time walking in obedience to God, frankly, because we just don't know what it looks like. And God is going, here's my word. Would you open it up and have faith in the things I'm going to speak to you and lead you in. So faith, it's, it's believing the word of Jesus even when it's not necessarily the way we want to go. Faith is it's walking in obedience. Here's, I love this part. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Here's what I love about this verse, this passage, what it tells us. It tells us something incredible about when we truly do put our faith in Jesus and believe and walk in obedience. It teaches us that faith in Jesus has literally the power to cause things to happen that otherwise would not happen if you didn't have faith. I wonder if you believe that. That your faith literally God, by His grace, says, I, I, I'm going to allow the measure of your faith, and it really won't take much, the measure of your faith to cause things to happen that would not happen if you didn't believe. Um, 
Look at this verse, Matthew 9, 21 through 22. It says, For she said to herself, this is the story of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. She said, If I only touch Jesus' garment, I will be made well. Statement of faith in Christ. Notice, it's not just some random statement of faith. Oh, I believe in Santa Claus. No, this is, I believe in Jesus and he'll make me well. And Jesus turned, seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. What's that next word? Your faith. It's your faith who's made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. How about this one? This is like literally six verses later in Matthew. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe, oh, there's that word, that's familiar. Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Curios, that's, that, that's the word, curios. Lord, Master, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. That's awesome. According to your faith. Translation, Mission Church, you choose. You choose. You, you, you choose what what God does in you, through you, by you, with you. you. You choose according to your faith. I can't help but wonder how many premature finish lines we set on our lives because we are only able to live within what we can see, not what God can see. Like, this is nothing new to you guys, or at least I hope it's not. I, I, like, I am not one of those people that reads God's word and is like, you know what? I think God just wants us to live pretty ordinary lives. Nothing special, nothing great, nothing outstanding. I look at scripture and I go, I think that God has called every Holy Spirit-filled Christian to live a life in such a way that it can only be explained by the Holy Spirit that's in that Christian. So so do you realize that means that we are constantly stepping out in faith, we're constantly believing God, being led by God in areas that we completely expect will not go well unless God shows up. And, and so I'm, I'm about ready to get up on a horse here and just ride it hard. Because Why wouldn't you? Here, here's where I go. So I don't, this is not trying to guilt trip. I'm just, I'm just trying to look at this passage and speak to where Jesus is trying to lead us. Why wouldn't God call you to move across to a different nation to go and share the gospel? I just, I, I don't think that should be strange to us. Now, I'm not saying God is not calling you to it, but I'm saying stop thinking that he isn't without ever praying about it. And you know me, I'm the first one to say, how do you know that God is not calling you to be a foster parent or to adopt a child? Again, maybe he's not, but please don't say God's no for him. And I don't know, maybe... Maybe God's calling you to use your money in a way that is going to change your lifestyle drastically. Maybe God is trying to reconcile a relationship 
that you know is going to cost you forevermore? Jesus says, according to your faith. I personally have the conviction that God is always doing this. Uh, like, we live in, in like, there, there's, there's, the, there's the pre-season, the regular season, the post-season, and then, like, eight months of break, okay? It's every sport there is. I, and I, listen, I, I fear that we look at faith in the same manner. We're like, okay, God, I think God's calling me to this. And then we walk through it, and then we're like, oh. I think God's just calling me to do nothing for like the next year and a half. Now listen, I do believe that God calls people to seasons of rest for certain. But listen, I think that we should always be literally on our knees, journaling day in and day out, asking the question. And this is where I just got blew up this week, y'all. Just, Lord, what are you calling me to? That that is going to take you. And here's what I've realized. When you actually stop and ask that question, God has a way of answering it. And then you got to deal with that, guys. <laughs> and so I, I, I wonder if that, that's it, right? That, like, that's... That's a wrap for you this morning. You just, need, you just need to actually create a moment in your week where you do this. Where you get quiet and you say, Lord, I really, I really think that you call me to some things that only you can do. I haven't taken time to do that. And so I need, would you please just show me and help me obey? This is the greatness of faith, is that it causes things to happen that otherwise wouldn't happen if you didn't have faith. And I want to be very clear here. This does not make you the hero of the story, because we could go, oh, yeah, look at that person. They have such great faith. If you talk with person, a person who has great, awesome faith, I know some of those people, here's what they will tell you. They will not pat their hat back and go, how do you have some really great, awesome faith? Yeah! They'll raise their hands and go, my faith is only as big as my God is. So, so don't ever let anyone be like, hey, calm down on your faith roller coaster here, okay? We have a God who is our Savior. He's not just from heaven going, yeah, I'll do this for you, do this for you. He's up from heaven going, I'm going to send my son Jesus to die for you. And then I'm going to have the Apostle Paul write in Romans, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not graciously give you all things? We have a God that is great, so you and I can have some pretty great faith. But here's the deal. Here's how this passage ends. Some of you, rightly so, might go, hey, ho hold on, Zach. You, you said that 
Faith in Jesus has the power to cause things to happen that would not happen without faith. I've had some, anybody has some faith in somebody getting healed, or anybody have some faith in something that you want God to do and He didn't do? He didn't change your circumstance. Faith in Jesus has the power to cause things to happen that would not happen without faith, but it doesn't always mean that those things that are going to happen are going to be change of circumstance. Maybe it's change of you. See, that's the thing about faith. That, Jesus does that more often than not. He takes your big grand faith in him. You expect him to change the circumstance. And maybe Jesus does, maybe he doesn't. But almost what he always does is he changes you. Look how this passage um, concludes. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed. Now pause. You should read that and go, wait a second, back in verse 49, I thought he already believed. Is this like a double belief? Like, what? <laughs> I thought it would. What? He believed in the word of Jesus to begin with. Do you hear the personal nature of this right here? He himself believed. I think this man changed. Can you imagine how fearful, how anxious he was as he walked 20 miles home? And then to hear that his son is healed and he knew that it was Jesus. You better believe that his faith was drastically different. Here's what I think happened. I think his faith went from believing in the word of Jesus and believing Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I think it, his faith went from believing in the things Jesus can do and believing that his identity is now forever changed and in Christ. I think that's what happened. I think... Jesus changed his life and changed his identity. I think he came to the place where he said, you are this, you are, you're my savior. You're my savior. And not only does Jesus change his circumstance, not only does Jesus change him, Jesus changes the whole household. And it says, and his whole household also believed. I'm going to be honest with you. I think that this story is less about the miracle and the healing of the son. And I think that this story is more about Jesus getting this man and his whole entire household saved. This is official. This is a guy who is a royal official. This is a guy who has his whole family living with him and then quite a few servants and everybody gets saved. And God wants to use your faith to save those around you. Personally, I read this and I think he himself believed. And then what followed is his whole household. I read this and go, okay, men. Are you passing your faith down? Is your faith so strong and so personal and so impactful that it's changing the lives of your children and your spouse? Husbands, you cannot pass down a rich faith to your kids and to your family if you don't have it yourself. Moms, Barna just got done doing a study, research, that said 
I'm quoting a person who quoted this statistic, so that's how dangerous this is. But it's probably true. My friend Chris Goff told me this week, he said, Barna came out with this study that said that 70% of young Christians say they owe their faith to their mom. Come on, godly women. God wants to use you. God will use you. And let's not lose sight of this. Jesus heals the son with his word. Just like that. So some of you, you have some problems, you have some struggles. You don't just need that problem fixed, you need a savior. And Jesus is that. But we have a savior that desires to meet you where you're at. We have a savior that has the power at the right hand of God in heaven to speak the word and break through your circumstance and probably more importantly, break through you So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And I just want to give you a moment to to just sit in this. And I just want to ask you one or two questions here for you to meditate on. What is happening in your life that you are struggling to trust God in? That he's just asking you to just surrender to him this morning? And then, is there a problem? Is there a struggle in your life that you just need to believe Jesus' word for? Would you just allow, I just want to give you a moment to sit in that and to think about that. And as we sing, I want to remind us, and then if we're about ready to take communion, I want to remind us of this incredible passage in Romans 8. It says, who is to condemn? It's, it's a question that demands a negative answer. Who is it condemn? The answer, nobody. Nobody can condemn you. Why? Because Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And as we worship and as we come and take the elements of communion, the bread and the cup, I want you to not only be reminded that Jesus died on the cross for you, but do you remember his resurrected body? He still got nailed. He still got holes in his hands. The nail marks are still there as a reminder that he died for you. And then we have this passage, which is a promise. This is a promise. And it says that he is at the right hand of God, right here, right now, interceding for you. And some of you, 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 you need to go to Jesus. You need him to intercede for you. And I want you to do that in two ways this morning. One, do that through worship and communion. And then some of you, you need help. You don't know what to pray. And would you come and receive prayer during this time of worship? But let's let's stand and pour our hearts out to Jesus this morning.